0: Trust in financial services has been increasing. But with trust in technology companies decreasing and the pandemic accelerating the shift to digital financial services, it's more important than ever to actively build and maintain trust. In association with MyTech, we've launched a report that explores the current trust issues facing financial services brands and how they can be overcome. Head to bit.ly forward slash digital trust report 2021 to download it now. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider, episode 92. I'm Sarah Kachansky. In today's episode, we're going to talk about pet insurance and how it's been affected by lockdown, volatility and a massive rise in demand for pet companions. As always, I'm not alone. And today I'm joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel?
1: Can I say barking mad? No, I can't. I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm wagging my tail. (laughs) I expect the jokes to continue.
0: Um, To dive into this topic with us, we are joined by some excellent guests. So first up, we have Oki Elazu, COO at Bought by Many. How are you doing today, Oki?
2: Um, I'm very good. There are no jokes, um, but feeling great.
0: (laughs) Can you you give us a quick overview of Bought by Many, please?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Bought by Many is um, a pet insurer, which is good for this topic. And we've been, uh, as an overall business, we're going uh, about 10 years, but we focused on pet insurance about, um, well, we launched our first pet insurance product in 2017 in the UK, um, and we've been doing really well, and we now have around 350,000 pets insured with us. So it's been a really rapid rise over the last uh, four years. So we not only issue pet insurance in the UK but uh, for the last year we've also had a business in Sweden which is also trading very well and we've just tipped our toes into the United States um, where we are um, trading um, in Illinois at the moment uh, as a little beta in advance of a much bigger launch later in the year.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, you never seem to be off my TV. I seem to see bought by many adverts left, right and centre at the moment. So um, that's always a good sign. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, you know, um, we're doing doing okay. We're doing okay.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. We're also joined today by Steve Wardlaw, chairman of Emerald Life. How are you doing today, Steve? Excellent.
3: I will try and stay off dog puns. I will point out there are two dogs downstairs, so there may be a bit of interruption at some stage. So apologies in advance, but it's a pet topic.
0: Absolutely. They're not going to join us today then? They didn't fancy it? (laughs) Please no. I'm enjoying (laughs) the break. Okay. Um, And you've joined us um, in another capacity previously, or rather to talk about a different sort of insurance. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about what Emerald is doing in the pet insurance specifically?
3: Yeah. So the the general overview is Emerald was set up as an insurer for equality. So particularly focusing on equality for the LGBT community and women. Um, As people Not so much during lockdown, but we we took a view early on that lots of non-traditional families would have pets rather than children. And so that's why we added a uh, pet range on. Uh, And that's going very well. Um, Yes, same as not quite to the scale of Oki, but we've seen obviously uptick as everybody's wandering around with pets. So uh, our aim is to make sure that you can buy Any of the home home travel, pet wedding, it's kind of like a a seamless service of crossover. And that seems to be working quite well in lockdown. Uh, We can talk about pet claims, very few home claims because everyone's at home. Very few (laughs) escape water claims, which makes my underwriters extremely happy.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Well, we will get on to claims slightly later on. um, But thank you all so much for joining me. Let's get on with the show. Um, Okay, so pre- pre-pandemic let's start with what we were talking about you know if we'd done this show two years ago or whatever I mean how how big is the UK pet insurance market I mean sorry was it before before the pandemic is it a big market I mean I might come to you to start with Oki because I'm guessing that you probably had an idea of this when you set the business up
2: yeah um, hopefully and um, as an insurance market I would say about well let's go back to pets I think the last time I looked about 50% Fifty percent of the households in the UK had a cat or a dog, so um, I know it's gone up. That's gone up a lot in, in the last twelve months. And about thirty percent of those, thirty to thirty-five percent of those, would have some sort of insurance. Okay, so it's 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 nowhere near the coverage of say a home or motor, um, uh, and maybe not even travel. But uh, as a market, it's um, still a reasonably substantial one uh, to be dealing in
0: and um and and I guess kind of you know perhaps the traditional I mean, what were the traditional distribution paths I get I guess for pet insurance you know where did you go online to buy it? did those people you were talking about go online to buy it? does it come with the pet? do you buy it from the vets? do you buy it from the breeder? What are we talking about here
2: yeah yeah there's um uh, that's changing traditionally, lots of store has been put on vets and breeders for insurance and lots of tie-ups uh, between insurance companies, vets and breeders. But obviously, in the last few years, aggregators have become prevalent in all forms of insurance. And so when people uh, think of insurance, they think um, I'll get an aggregator and I'll see what I can find. And, and pet insurance is no different in that way. And so I would say that those were the main ways of, of, of purchasing pet insurance. But um, as an insure tech business, uh, bought by many, we've really focused on other channels. And so our key channel has been, you know, what can we do direct? Um, what can we do through Facebook and Google? As distribution channels, so we're very much in the digital space, and that's proving to be um, very effective for us. So you know, so traditional vets and breeders, um, aggregators, and direct digital.
0: And and Steve, does that fit with what you're seeing as well? If you're um, slightly newer to this market, but does that fit with your with what you've seen happening? You know, even before the pandemic and throughout.
3: Completely. So we were we were online to start with. We were smaller when we started, so we relied on. Uh, online. And we relied on looking at LGBT and women's channels as well in terms of how you market, how you show dogs with pets and things like that, which worked out quite well. I did have a look before before this recording. Interestingly enough, I was looking at a US publication that was talking about how exciting the UK pet market is. And even after the pandemic, they're still factoring in a 60% growth in dollar terms or in pound terms over the next five years in pet insurance premium. So it's still, like you said, as Oki was saying, it's still a massively underinsured market. And it's, it's odd, but I think the pandemic has made a lot of people begin to think about all this stuff because they sit with the dogs all day, which is not a not really good thing, which we'll come on to. And so I think that's going to tick up um, when we see people settling in and dogs becoming much more the norm around town.
0: And just before we move on to the next section, just I wanted to ask you a quick question about sort of product innovation, because I know that you've got something called quarantine coverage. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. So we've, we haven't done, uh, start with the basics of people. When people think quarantine, there's, there's always an association then with COVID and what happens if we have to do this kind of stuff. So basically, if you plan to, if you plan to do something, insurance doesn't tend to pick it up. If I plan to you know, set fire to my house, we're not going to do it. If I plan to go somewhere with a quarantine, then obviously that's a factor. It's more because we'll see this more if you get ill. So our travel covers a lot of COVID stuff if you're ill when you're abroad. That then ticks onto our pet stuff. So if your dog has to stay quarantined or in kennels or something like that. Otherwise, it's when microchip fails, which doesn't happen very often, to be honest. Um, so it's more if you're stuck somewhere, if you're stuck somewhere or there's an emergency issue. Where something has gone wrong, Um, and we're seeing now suggested average waits for people coming back into the country of four hours in a speedy zone. So there may be issues there where dogs have to be kept or something, and that's where we kind of pick it up. We're looking at more COVID-type things, but it's not as clear as, say, travel insurance.
0: Yeah, and I think people. Well, I've I've owned dogs in the past, and those kennel costs can tick up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes uh, if, that's a good bit I should be in kennels if I didn't do pet insurance
0: yes we we had two and we're putting them both in kennels I seem to remember became more expensive than going on holiday ourselves at one point thought yeah why are we going abroad <laughs> um so we, we've sort of touched on it here everybody's kind of mentioned it a bit but I want to bring us into kind of the fact that we need to, t- to talk a little bit more about how the fact that the numbers of pets being owned is going up, and that you know that's going to have an impact on on the insurance industry. And actually, really interestingly, we've got a a supply problem <laughs> in the pet market. We have huge, in the UK certainly, and I know across the states, huge demand for pets, um, not a great deal of supply. And we can talk a little bit later on about where where those animals are coming from and, and what issues that might be causing. But also, the obvious thing that's happening there is that that's driving up the cost um, of your average of your average pet. So the, the sort of some of the statistics that we've got here just to, to evidence this. So, so London saw a hundred and one percent increase in new pets, and it saw the biggest regional spike in UK dog ownership with an increase of eighty four percent in twenty twenty. That's a lot more dogs in London. And at the same time, according the um, according to Co the average price of dog insurance hit a record high in May twenty twenty of three hundred and seventy eight pounds annually. So that's twenty six percent higher than the price the year before um nigel i think you, you've, you've looked at the us market a bit as well you know is it have you seen some stats there on on how many how many new critters they've got going in that part of the world
1: critters yeah I, I mean i think it was the number in the uk was as you say like three or was it three million or thereabouts during lockdown i saw a number in a recent thing i read saying circa 11 million new pets in north america uh and as a result we've seen other businesses opening up so I read something today on, on coverager talking about, uh, true panion, um, giving out, or if I'm allowed to use the words giving out about lemonade claims about how they, uh, got themselves in the doghouse with, with their claims about how quickly they paid pet claims. But that's just more noise about a market with more entrants getting into something where they see great opportunity and great activity. So I think they're all good leading indicators of this being a really hot market.
0: And and just with sort of, I suppose, with with that in mind, it's a really hot market. But do we think that some people have made decisions too quickly regarding getting a pet um, in terms of considering? Yeah, Steve, please.
3: So funnily enough, this is marginally off topic, but I guarantee we'll swing around. With my other hat, I am chairman of a uh, growing dog walking business on the South Coast. Uh, And the point of that story is uh, yes, is the answer. And what we're seeing is the dogs we're walking since lockdown ha- are definitely, definitely not as well socialized as puppies and bigger dogs. Um, and I think that's because people have been locked down. The idea of a lockdown, a friend of mine had a go at me for using the phrase lockdown puppy when he got one, because it's almost seen as a fairly derogatory term. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, I couldn't be asked to do anything. I'll just I'll get married in Vegas. I'll get a lockdown puppy. All those kind of things you do without really thinking it through. There's definitely some of that. So we would expect, I mean, we talked about rising premiums. I feed some of the stuff back into our underwriters, I expect there'll be a rise in claims maybe for uh, third party liabilities, because some of these dogs are very, very difficult in a way we simply didn't see before lockdown.
0: Yes, I mean I've had a couple of experiences where rather large puppies have launched themselves at me, which I don't generally tend to mind. But I'm not a small child or afraid of dogs, and there's a, a very different set of circumstances there. Um, okay, I'm going to come come to you next. Um, you know, did you want to comment on that? And also, perhaps, do you think that people, when they're getting these pets, are kind of unaware of how the costs
2: that are associated with it, if something does go wrong? So, um, firstly, I think that. Clearly, there's, there's lots of, uh, lockdown, uh, puppies. There's also lots of lockdown kittens for that mm-hmm. matter, you know. And chickens. I, yeah. You know, so <laughs> pet, pets in general. I think we saw a, a bigger surge in, in, kittens than we did in puppies, right? So I think basically we've just had this huge, massive moment in time change and people who would have loved to have had a pet who w- couldn't for various different reasons were now able to. And I think, I, I think Steve, you're right. I don't think it's all those people were going to be bad pet owners, right? Some of those people were great pet owners, had pets. I've spoken to many customers, had pets all their lives. but They lived in town. They had busy jobs. They are always, and they'd always wanted to do it, and they couldn't because, the, you know, the, um, their circumstances didn't allow to, them to. And from an insurance perspective, we're not seeing any more claims. And maybe, maybe, remember I, t- I talked about that only 30% of people who, get a pet insure it and there may be a difference in the makeup of the 30% who get insurance who have a pet to the 70% who don't so um maybe the surgeon it, it will come but we we haven't seen it yet um okay. on, on on in terms of knowing the cost of it absolutely it's the analogy is like uh, having kids you know you say to parents you know how much that's going to cost you you know (laughs) for the next 20 years you kind of don't and I think people don't think about just the 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 overall costs of a pet and they definitely don't think about the cost of um, of vet fees and if that pet gets ill in any way Um, and a lot of education still needs to happen I mean from the basics of flea and worming all through to what happens if they literally jump off the first floor and do a cruciate ligament. How much does that cost is not clear to most people.
0: And just with that in mind then, just and this is to the wider group as well, so what you're saying, Oki, is that you're not seeing that many more claims yes. how do we, yet. Um, so how do we account for you're not seeing that many more yet, and I totally understand that people maybe haven't had these pets very long to, you know, to have a chance for that to need to happen. Um, but how do we count for the rise in premiums across the board then? Is it... You know, is it people getting in on the market and seeing an opportunity who aren't experienced? Is it that the pets are just more expensive? Um, because, you know, as we said, demand pushes up the price. So I saw some ridiculous article about the average price of a cockapoo the other day. That's, you know, four and a half grand now or something. Um, uh, Nigel is shaking his head. I think at the price of a cockapoo as opposed to my point about increased premiums. <laughs> no,
1: honestly, it's the more the price of pets. And I've, uh, as an aside, I've been myself and my daughter are desperate to get a dog and we're not allowed to have a lockdown puppy or even a not lockdown puppy because Emma won't allow it. And we won't allow it because we have a cat. But number, number two, more importantly, at some point, we're going to all start traveling again and go back to work. And I know we're going to be in offices and I'd be interested about how these sorts of things go for the psychology of animals or people with pets going into work. And I think, you you know, Sarah, you've, you've even had... Uh, David's dog in the office once and when it was a little tiny thing it was all good fun and fluffy and cuddly but at some point are we going to have like 30 dogs in the office at any one point in time so um I'm only shaking my head because the cost of puppies has gone through the roof and it's now a definite no rather than just a no or a maybe
2: so yeah the costing's incredible right um we've seen some incredible costs in the you know average costs in in the, in the thousands top end costs in the tens thousands um for different types of sort of pet and in answer to your question around the price going up so no we're not seeing no more claims and we we're not increasing our prices however the cost is part of how we ascertain the cost of insurance and therefore the baseline cost of the pets has gone up also postcode is an important part and actually what we've seen a lot is a lot more people who live in cities buying Pets. So, um, London, Edinburgh is our biggest outside of London. And some of these postcodes, because they're city center based, the vets charge slightly more. And so therefore, um, the, the basic cost of those policies has gone up. So I don't think overall, if you live in the same place, the cost has gone up, but the distribution of where the pet insurance is has changed.
0: Yes, yeah, so we've got a lot more pets in London. Then you're going to have a lot more expensive vets. Um, Steve, Correct. did you want to jump in on that?
3: Yeah, and I think it's—I uh, I hate to use the word sophistication of city dwellers—but there's certainly an expectation that people who spend six pounds on a Colombian like oat milk latte. Uh, expect when their pet is, you know, farmers, if their pet was ill, there were two options and one of them was taking them around the back of the shed. And not mm. quite that bad. But I think now um, sophisticated people are like, well, where's my MRI scan for Fluffo? And you're like, well, <laughs> we can't afford an MRI. What are you talking about? But there's, you know, as they, as they are, they're not substitutes for children, says he looking away guiltily at the point. <laughs> but, um, you know, you expect that stuff. You're like, why can't I have all these things? And exactly as Oki's point, I've had two very small issues with my dogs and both times we've hit the limit on my insurance with really not in a couple of weeks, it's even then the higher insurances aren't covering the inflation, not necessarily in vets bills because of what's been done, but because we are demanding more and more out of a vet rather than, a, you know, a shot.
0: You know who I blame? I blame the super vet. Because if you've watched that programme, like I'd be demanding that my hamster had a hip replacement tomorrow. Like My, my,
3: <laughs> yeah, my dog had a cruciate ligament issue, and uh, everyone's like, have you seen super like, I can't afford it. So <laughs> basically,
2: he's got a Meccano leg now, and he's absolutely bloody fine. So don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> he doesn't need that leg anyway.
2: I mean, it's really important. I mean, our number one, um, our complete, which is our highest level product, is also our best-selling product, 15,000 uh, uh, vet fee cover. And people want reassurance, people want peace of mind, people have seen the super vet. And so they're like, okay, if I can balance out, you know, what the what, how much more does it cost me to have 15,000 vet fee cover, dental theft, we may get onto that later, all the standard in a complete policy. No surprise to us that that's the policy we're selling the most. And it's the most expensive. So all of these things play into it, and a for that, Noel definitely has his role to play in that.
1: <laughs> um, Nigel, did you want to add something there? No, I, I was just going to say, and I was laughing. Steve, you're killing me about the two options here. I think my wife is in the other option of the take it round the back of the shed if anything goes wrong with the cat, the poor thing. Just don't tell her. Um, the cat, not my wife. Um, the, 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 the surprising similarity here, and Oki, to your point was about um, living almost advanced city dwellers, as you call them. Um, is there a strong similarity here to health insurance? I.e. if you're in a city and you want the best of treatment, you go to a London or a large city clinic or whatever else. So there seems to be a really strong correlation to our expectation on healthcare for ourselves and what we then expect to have for our, for our pet going forward.
2: Yeah, um, I, I think there there is most definitely. And definitely when you have insurance. Um, and, uh, we've noticed an increase in the amount of referrals. So, so effectively with vets, you have primary care, you know, your vet around the corner, and then you have referral care, okay, which is, uh, Noel Fitzpatrick and the Willows where they do all the very flash stuff. And suddenly, if you have definitely if you've got insurance and even if you've got seven thousand pound cover, you can get the MRIs, you can get the hip replacements and the cruciate ligaments done in these referral clinics. And then the more people hear about that, I think there is a especially in cities, the me too sort of thing, which is, oh, actually, oh, we oh fluffy did a cruciate. We took it out to the willows. Um, and we didn't pay a thing because we've got great insurance. And people say, well, I must get some of that insurance and, and um, that insurance thing. I think we should get some more of that. And, and actually, what I didn't talk about in, in, in when I talked about channels was what's worked incredibly well for us is, is member get member, uh, you know, refer a friend type uh, cover. So people are telling other people about their stories and how it's a really great idea to get great products, great cover. And that's where we really come into our own.
0: And just before we move on to the section, I just want to um, pick up on something you said there, Oki, but sort of this comparison between between health and pets. Steve, obviously you do kind of a, a, a wide range of, of products. I so just earlier on, you touched on people, more people have, you know, insurance for their pets than themselves. Is there something that you see, you know, is there something that you see maybe changing there or is there something that kind of, you know, an awareness is, Is or are people still more obsessed with their pets than themselves?
3: <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a lot of, I see a lot more advertising for pet insurance than, uh. Health insurance. Now, that might just be my algorithms, to be honest, or <laughs> they know I'm uninsurable for lots of reasons. But um, <clears throat> there's definitely a push now, I think, to get things up. And I also think, you know, as, an, uh, as a pet cost has gone from 600 to, you know, touching 5,000-something, people are far more concerned about mm. this valuable asset that's in their house. It's a much more – because it's seen as an item of value, not everybody has five grand lying around. So there is a conscious decision to spend money on pets – and as a conscious system to protect them.
0: Absolutely, so we're just gonna take a quick break there and then we're gonna come on to some of the more disturbing sides of uh, lockdown. Uh-huh.
1: Season two of the FinTech Marketing Podcast has landed. Join me, Eric Fullweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS as I talk directly to some of the most influential CMOs in the world of FinTech and financial services. I'm going to be asking them how they build brands, how they drive growth with modern day marketing. This season, I also have a new co-host, Mariette Ferreira, our marketing director here at 11FS. She will be talking to the people getting down and dirty on the marketing front lines with roundtable chats from some of the best in the business. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. That's FinTech Marketing Podcast by 11FS.
0: Okay, welcome back. Let's get on with the show and I'm going to hand over to Nigel now.
1: Thanks, Eric. Well, in this section, we're going to talk a little bit more about pet theft. Um, And obviously, with the rise of all the pets that are going on and the demand and the huge increase in costs that you've just talked about, the police have put out warnings for dog and pet theft. So we want to take a little look into this. And even for my own examples, if I look at my local Facebook group, my local street WhatsApp, and of course, the good old BBC News and other things. All I seem to see is updates about lost dogs or people in vans coming to steal dogs or potentially steal dogs. And that is quite a, you know, you, pre-lockdown, I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, and just to put it into comparison, I had a quick look at bike theft. So you talked a minute ago about um, this valuable asset in your house, you know, a £5,000 dog. Let's just say the average bike might be around £5,000, depending on who's listening to the podcast. Um But the average, I think there was like 300,000 bikes last year stolen in the UK or reported stolen, and probably another 300,000 claims for damage and everything else. So I'd love to get your perspective on the number of thefts that are going on or the number of reported thefts. Because I thought when I looked at the numbers, they were a lot lower than that from a bike perspective. Okay, Steve, have you got any numbers around either the increase in pet theft um, or the actual numbers themselves?
2: So, uh, yeah, I took a little bit to that. Um, and it's a little bit strange actually, because there has been a lot of media coverage on pet theft. It's everywhere. And so we decided to have a look at it, um, in our, in our numbers and we see very little difference. Right, So, um, it, it, because we're like, we, this must be a problem. Where do we have theft? in it? Where do we cover it? our policies? Our complete policy covers 6000 theft, you know, up to £6,000 for theft. So, and that's why it's been a great seller uh, recently. But actually, when we look at the claims data, we do not see, we don't see a massive increase in the amount of pet theft. So it's, for us, it's been a very weird thing because it's all we see around us. But in our data, in our data, and it's not, you know, not comprehensive, we don't, we don't see the issue quite as much.
0: So people who's having their pets stolen also haven't had them insured, perhaps, feels sure, like it feels yeah. like maybe may be yeah. jumping to conclusions there. I mean, just to say around here, every tree or lamppost has got a, a poster on it saying, you know, reward for Dexter, £10,000, or whatever £10,000, but it might be actually around here.
3: I think I think we're not seeing much more either. I, I Anecdotally, and that's all I can say, looking at the other side of the equation, I think we are seeing more... People have had problems with puppies that they have bought that have been imported or some other kind of uh, illegal breeding because for, you know, if you think about it, yes, you could steal a dog and sell it, but it's somebody else's dog, you know, you're buying a stolen dog. It's all a bit, you know, but if you think you can have a litter of puppies and sell them for 40 grand, suddenly that's a, you know, that's a good <laughs> illegitimate business. So we've heard more about that, but that could be anecdotally, we don't see it. We've not seen a huge spike in it. I think people are slightly more concerned about, organized crime now of all the things getting into puppies.
1: I mean, just just interesting, I was looking at a BBC article earlier that talked just from April this year that talked about a 250% increase in pet theft. But from what you're both saying, that's, I mean, and it wasn't sourced or anything. There was no, it was a really big number. You could almost argue that 250% increase on a very low baseline isn't that many more at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we did not panic about it, but we thought we really must investigate this. And and it's it's not. But the the flip side of that, as I said, is our complete policy covers six thousand pounds for theft. And actually, it's been you know bizarrely quite a driver of sales because people think i want to have make sure i'm covered for the theft of my pet even though we're not seeing these pet thefts you know um yeah so so it'd be interesting it's great it's a great media story for sure i'm I'm sure it's happening but we just don't see in our data
1: and again as i said from from the whatsapp groups and street things and posters like sarah's got i think it's it's It feels like it's much, a much bigger issue than it actually is. Maybe we just needed a different story other than COVID for once. (laughs) If I, if I flip it around a little bit, what should people do to almost protect themselves from this in the first place is, you know, uh, um, microchipping and all that sort of good stuff. Is there things that you insist on? So for example, if I'm buying an expensive car or a high performance car, you say, Hey, put a tracker on it. Are we now seeing the same in pet to say, Hey, stop getting to this point in the first place or do do we not think it's going to go there?
0: Isn't it a legal requirement to have your dog microchipped in this country now?
3: Yes, and it's going to be a legal requirement to have your cat microchipped, yeah. thanks to Mrs. Boris.
0: <laughs> so I, I don't know the context for that, but I, I, at some point, Steve, you must tell me. <laughs>
3: I, I will tell you it after this show. But I think, that, I mean, the protections, chipping, chipping is fine. The other thing you do find microchips, by the way, is don't forget they do move. Um, so sometimes it's not difficult, it's not easy to find them. So it's also good to, when you go to the vet, uh to have have the chip checked because i if it doesn't fail my i've got a little dog and his chip is halfway down his front leg
0: so they start for the people who don't know they start in the back, of the, neck, the back of the neck and
3: it's moved and i can't tell you why or how but that's a good thing to check where it is because the other thing is if you lose your dog um and i've got it written on my i got contact details but also i've got the where the chip is written on the, back, the flip side because otherwise people will look at it and they may not find the chip so, i'll give
1: you one other anecdote around that our cat's got a cat flap with a microchip thing in its in its on the cat flap to stop other cats coming in and let's just hope it doesn't move otherwise the cat's gonna swipe its paw at some point to get in
2: <laughs> um i so microchips is one thing and but when we survey customers uh, about other uh, value add things we might do for them um there's no doubt that pet trackers are something that people are very interested, in, especially, I mean, both for cats and dogs, right? You know, where is my pet? I want to know where it is. And so even pre pandemic, pre the thefts, there were lots of people saying, I worry about losing my dog, literally just going, running off in the field and not knowing where it is. Um, and we've, we've, being a, a tech business, you know, we've talked to many companies about wearables for for pets and you know they're not perfected yet but they're getting better and better and I think we're very close to being able to offer um one of these that we think is an effective has an effective GPS so you can literally track your 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 dog and which will work for them just getting lost and being stolen.
0: I tell you what I've seen a lot of actually, which is it's, it's along the same lines, but nowhere near as high tech, is um, an, a huge increase in both dogs and humans for that matter, wearing um, flashing lights around their ankles or around their necks, you know, of an evening when you go for a walk. So I ended up buying a flashing... Uh, you know, sort of like a Velcro strap thing to go around my ankle Um, when I was, like, walking during lockdown in in the evening. It's quite dark around here. And I went to see a friend and she said, oh, you match Coco. Coco is the chocolate Labrador who has the exact (laughs) same um, flashing strip around her neck. Um, But I guess my point there is I think there's probably a lot more awareness about people, you know, what it's doing is a lot more awareness about people trying to keep an eye on their pet and then how you can use that data as insurers, you know. If you know where, if you have a greater idea of where the pet is, perhaps you can use that data to more accurately underwrite or offer
1: different products and things. I think it's a great point, Sarah. Actually, and, and to that, I mean, okay if you're if you're about to release this, let's call it a pet fit a pet version of a Fitbit or, or equivalent, um, what does that do to the premium? It's almost like usage-based insurance for a car. Are we now saying? because we're never going to lose it we no longer need the theft cover we are either going to drop it out or the the likelihood of ever needing it is going to be removed and therefore and therefore we reduce the premium or what's the actual benefit is it just pure curiosity on the owner's behalf or is there another, is it another benefit to it
2: well it's quite interesting actually because when we we started this looking into this there were there were two different types of um um uh, device one is a um, people often get them mixed up. Pet tracker, that is, I want to know where my dog is, right? It's lost. And one is a Fitbit, like a, an exercise tracker. Um, at the moment, because of the size of these things that need to go on a dog's um, collar, to get both of them to work together is, is proving difficult. And so some people are keen on a, on a pet fitness tracker with an app. That's really interesting from an insurance perspective in terms of exercise, um, the amount of exercise um, uh, the pet's getting. And, and those things are quite sophisticated, so they can tell the difference between a, a, a dog being walked and it just playing and the amount of exercise it gets. Some people say, oh, it's fine, it's been in the garden for, for two hours. But that is very different in exercise to actually going for a walk. Um, and so what what could be the future of that is... is is you'd have to get on volume, Nigel, you know better than me, you know, you have to, for me to convince Charlotte um, about the benefits of changing, Charlotte's our our commercial officer, the benefits of going for a walk every day and changing the premium, she'd need a pretty big sample size in order to try and price on that basis. But as more people get them, um, over the next few years, and they become smaller and more sophisticated, I think we could be going down, you know, a uh, 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 pet wearables type pricing model.
0: I did wonder if Charlotte was the dog for a minute there.
2: No, oh, yeah. Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, she's a very, very smart pricing person.
1: Uh, I keep saying love, actually, but she doesn't like my jokes. I am. Um, <laughs> But I keep going back to, and Charlotte's a, a big exercise in terms of running and cycling as well. So actually this would all appeal back to the flashing lights and, and getting exercise when you go out there. The, um, th- this does make me think a little bit though about where it goes as we come out of lockdown. Have you got any Have you had any thoughts around what happens to the pet world um, as we all start to head back to offices, whether it's one, two, three, or even five days a week?
0: I guess we asked Steve that question. He has the pets.
1: <laughs>
3: it's a difficult one because I don't think there's going to be anything super immediate. But going back to what Oki said, I think, you know, I've had friends that I've recommended. They say we'd love a dog. And I was like, on oh, no account Will you get a dog? Right. Because this is all fun when there's two of you in your small flat with Fluffy. Seems to be the non jour uh, with Fluffy. But um, over time, and it's exactly the issue when you get illnesses and, and uh, blood diseases and things like that, where dogs are not being exercised. Um I think you'll find a lot more of that but none of that's going to be immediate because puppies are puppies are puppies you know you build in a problem over time. Um I worry a little bit more about uh dog on dog injuries um because of the lack of socialization. I don't like seeing dogs tied up at side shops. People I I, you know, I think there should be stricter enforcement of dogs on leads because I don't that's not a good situation dog on a lead and a dog off a lead and one's tied to a post. Um but I think you'll find health problems. I'm all for wearables as an idea to say to people, this is up to you now. You've got to look after your pet the same way you look after a child in terms of seeing that. So there'll be some development, but, I, but like okay said, we've got not enough, we haven't got enough data yet. This is all um, supposition.
2: Yeah, we we did a um, an interesting sort of bit of research uh, the back end of last year where we asked I think it's about two thousand pet owners um, about w- what it's like being a new pet owner, and we found um, there is this word. Uh, peteration anxiety in 75% of, of, of pet owners, which is an anxiety about being a part or missing their pets, cats or dogs, which was, was really interesting. It went one stage further. It kind of said that um, 33% of people said they were more likely to go back to the office if they were able to take their pet with them. I'm Not sure how that would work for cats. Um, so I'm pretty sure they must've been talking about dogs. And And a fifth of people said they were considering quitting their jobs, right? Um, because they had a pet and therefore um, going to work and being at work was different. So if they couldn't take it with them or couldn't work from home, that they would quit their job. So this is quite a fundamental shift, you know, what's happened with this increase. We kind of talk about the top line, oh, more people have got pets, but that's more people literally getting pets because in their heads, they are going to change the way they live in the future and how they work and how they interact with the world. And I think that's pretty Pretty interesting.
1: I think this would be a super interesting debate in 12 or 24 months' time, once the world has almost sprung back to a some level of normality, whatever that may be, to see what the implication is for pets and pet owners. And dare I say, I do worry about an increase in pets that end up in uh, you know, RSPCA type rescue homes or have been abandoned or whatever else. So as as the adverts always said, it's for life, not for not just for Christmas. So with that, let me hand back to Sarah.
0: Yes. I mean, I'm actually somebody who's um, going to join a waiting list for a a juvenile dog that appears in a rescue centre, because we're in a situation where we can now have a dog. We've got a very large garden. I work from home most of the time anyway. Um, But i I'm not going to pay £15,000 for a puppy. And B, I don't actually want a puppy. I want a slightly older dog that um, I don't have to spend 12 weeks inside with having sleepless nights. Um, But, you know, something something young enough, perhaps I can do a bit more training on the understanding that a lot of these animals that end up in those centres have just not had the proper training. And that's why people think they're problem animals so i'm i'm first in the queue for the rspca when they let me back in um okay well that wraps up today's discussion thank you all so much for joining me uh, where can people find out more about you and your companies uh, Oki?
2: um well you can find out everything you need to know google bought by um uh we're there and uh if you search for me on linkedin um okie lazu on linkedin uh drop me a line
0: perfect steve how about you
2: Yep, yeah, it's a similar kind of web address. So
3: well, not exactly similar, because it'd be the same company, but emeraldlife.co.uk. <laughs> and uh, my slightly more irreverent view is on Twitter at at Steve.
0: Everybody should follow Steve on Twitter. He's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Nigel, how about you? Uh,
1: I, I want to say borrowmydoggie.com. But unfortunately, I haven't got a dog to let you borrow. So I have to be on Twitter, m- normally arguing and having some fun with Steve. So at Nigel Walsh.
0: <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It does help to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or InsureTech Insider. You can find us on Twitter at Instec Insiders or you can email podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.